0: starry music podcast this podcast is an audio journal of my guest tonight's nice adventures throughout the live and local music is fun conversations cool tunes and good times will be had my name is mark Stary, and i'm a 15 plus year veteran of the twin cities minnesota metro music scene check me out at mark starry that's s-t-a-r-y music.net also on facebook twitter and instagram all of my original music is available to download on itunes cd baby and most other places you get your music online this podcast drops every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. If you enjoy it, please subscribe on iTunes. It's totally free and guarantees you'll never miss an episode. you got an extra buck or two that you wouldn't mind tossing in the podcast tip jar, please visit patreon.com forward slash Mark Stare Podcast. Also considering helping get the word out of the street via social media, five-star rating interview in iTunes, and or tell a friend or two. Happy Thought of the Day is by Dan Rather is being afraid, but going on anyhow. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Enjoy! Welcome back. Mark Steri Music Podcast, episode 193. Please support this week's sponsors, ID Chrysler Pine City, Templeton Rye Whiskey, and the B-Dale Club. Also, thanks to all the folks who contribute to this podcast on Patreon.com. Coming at you today on a rainy first day of dog camp here in St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks to all the folks who checked out the Turtle Lake Summer School original musical, Buddy Holly Circus, last week. Manfred rocked the house, and I couldn't have been more proud of the students. YouTube links to the final performance Coming soon. Last week's Geeks Wrap-Up. Thursday, I played a solo show at Bistro 63 in Baronet, Wisconsin. Beautiful night out on the patio, and great to see the Connell and Warner family. Friday, I played a duo show at Leaker's Place in Glenwood City, Wisconsin. Sally's 40th birthday was a success. Played a five-hour gig with a lot of solo 80s and country stuff. Saturday, I played a trio show for Fisherman's Party in Milltown, Wisconsin. Perfect day outside. Love all of our POCO fans and friends. Nice to see our agent who flew in from L.A., kidding, Paul Bainbridge, also a nice new Jeep, Andrew. Sunday played a benefit for suicide prevention at 318 Cafe in Excelsior, Minnesota. Allie Gray did an awesome job putting this all together, and great to catch up with previous podcast guests, Steve Merrill and Billy Johnson. Upcoming shows. Wednesday, June 26th, I'll be playing a solo show at Pub 42 in New Holt, Minnesota from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Friday, June 28th, I'll be playing a solo show at Danny's in Stillwater, Minnesota from 7 to 10 p.m. Saturday, June 29th, I'll be playing a duo show at Petey Pappy's in Stillwater, Minnesota from 3 to 6 p.m. Sunday, June 30th, playing a solo show at Paradise Landing in Balsam Lake, Wisconsin from 2 to 5 p.m. is part two of three with legendary investigative reporter journalist and news anchor don shelby we talk accents impressions jfk speaking techniques disc jockey talk dave moore and more enjoy the conversation been talking about uh, speaking techniques and uh, dialects and impressions and things like that. The Morgan Freeman one is pretty interesting. (laughs) We're talking about Ken Burns and how the Southern folks talk and Orson Welles, how those guys did that. Super interesting that you've studied all that stuff.
1: Well, I never knew what I wanted uh, to have as a speaking, not voice so much, but a speaking dialect. And, and so I had, uh, I came from a, the, the furthest north uh, southern city in America called Muncie, Indiana. And uh, that accent is, to my ear still today, is a terrible, terrible accent. So I had this incredibly high road to travel to try to undo all of that Nature and nurture, all of that learned language, the way my mom spoke, the way my dad spoke, the way all of my uh, relatives spoke. And I just spoke that way, and I thought that was English. And it wasn't. And so uh, it was highly nasal. Uh, there were no THs. Uh, you, don't, you didn't say this or that. You said, or right. And it sounded like you were from the South. And so the southern accent was an easy accent to gather, <laughs> and especially when my brother moved to Mississippi to marry a girl, Cajun girl down there. And, uh, and I got the chance to spend a lot of time down there fishing and, and, uh, and hearing that accent. And then I lived in Charleston, South Carolina. And then you start to realize, and then I lived in Houston, Texas. So you start to realize that a southern accent varies uh, by region, which I didn't know. And uh, the people of Charleston, South Carolina, are very close to Boston because of the way the colonies were set up and all the Huguenots going in there and and all of the Jewish people who went to, to Charleston. So it's a cosmopolitan, but they still have a very, very... A genteel way of talking to you. Very. Um, and if you get to Texas, it's very. You know, they talk like this down here in Texas, in certain parts of Texas, no matter where you go. Um, and then you get to Georgia, and then it starts to sound a lot like Brooklyn. And New Orleans sounds exactly like Brooklyn. Really? Exactly like Brooklyn. Yeah, you'd, if you heard a, a, a true New Orleans person speaking, you would think they were from Brooklyn, New York. Why? I wonder why that is. I don't know, but um, uh, maybe because the Acadians all moved down there and they passed through Brooklyn on their way and had several generations before they moved into New Orleans. Have you worked on a New York Brooklyn accent before? Yeah, I had a roommate who was from Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> and, and he was trying very hard not to have that accent, too, which was interesting because he was in broadcasting and he didn't want to have a New York accent.
0: So what did you do to get rid of that accent? Uh, imitated other people.
1: Yeah. Uh, so that's where the imitations sort of come from. You find a voice that you like. And you find a delivery that you like, and then you start speaking like them. Um, and it's funny because I watched politicians in my career. Uh, after, the, uh, after the John F. Kennedy era, uh, more and more people had his cadence. Uh, they didn't have uh, the, the Boston accent, the Massachusetts accent, but they had his cadence, and, in fact, our uh, former senator, Norm Coleman, former mayor of, uh, of St. Paul, had the Kennedy cadence. First of all, let me step back. I understand Joe's frustration. Uh, I'm listening to what he's saying. saying, well, they didn't use the same standards. There were standards used to count ballots that weren't counted on election night that uh, are now being counted. I, I had- because that's who was impressive to him. And when he spoke, he had the Kennedy cadence.
0: Yeah, he did. Yeah. Well, Summer Dog Camp starts this week, and getting to the Butwin location can be muddy, narrow, flooded, and kind of a white-knuckle ride. But today, Copper the Wonder Golden and I crushed through all the obstacles without a care in the world while rocking my black Jeep Cherokee I recently got from ID Chrysler, Pine City. When 250,000 miles on my old car was just too much for the poor thing to take, I found myself looking for my new dream ride at ID Chrysler Pine City, and the staff couldn't have been more helpful with me choosing a vehicle and willing to work with my, as I call it, musician's credit score. Their philosophy is simple, time-saving, hassle-free, fair price. Check out their inventory at www.idcdjr.com, or take the beautiful drive up 35 to 715 Northridge Court Northwest, Pine City, Minnesota, to visit in person. Business hours are Monday through Thursday, 8 to 6 p.m., and Friday and Saturday, 8 to 5 p.m., closed on Sundays. Check out ID Chrysler Pine City today and enjoy a summer full of adventures and memories out on the open road in a new ride. Wow, that's interesting. And he even used his... uh, There was a a
1: trick that uh, somebody told Kennedy. He used to use his finger when he pointed. He pointed to the audience, and uh, somebody... Uh, told him, I don't I don't know, uh, Ted Sorensen or somebody said, don't ever point at people. So he made Kennedy bend his knuckle, and so when Kennedy was making a point, you uh, watch all of the films, it's just that knuckle, that front knuckle, bend your finger all the way back and hold it with your thumb and point with that knuckle.
0: Wow. Yeah. And so... Um, Norm, I can picture that now. And, and Norm did that a lot. Wow. Um, so when you were being produced, or you wanted to be a news anchor, a reporter, and you were working on your voice, did people ever like critique you or coach you, oh, like cool. uh, like you slow kidding? down, get deeper, Are you do whatever? Kidding? Oh what's no, some, what's some points that they and, get? and they and they still do that today? When I go in the studio to
1: record a documentary or a commercial or something like that. You think you would walk in? They want okay. Here, I want Don Shelby to read this, and so you go read it like Don Shelby, and go. No, can you uh, can you lift can you lift it up? Can you make it more folksy? Can you uh, do a Tom Bernard? Can you? They would. They'll ask you names of individuals who you know because you're a voice person. You will listen and say, well, I'll, I'll give that a try. I'll try to make it more like Bernard. Or I'll try to make it more folksy. So you get a lot of instruction, especially if the client's in the room. If you've got the engineer in the room, the recording artist, they just boom, take it, boom. But if you've got the client in the room, they'll, especially if there's four or five of the clients, then it'll take you forever to record 30 seconds worth of work because they are going, no, how about that word? Could they make that word stronger? Can you lift that word up a little bit? And you know, okay. And, <laughs> and you do whatever because you're getting paid, so you do it. Oh, my gosh. But the, I want to I tell you something, and, and this is uh, – I'm, I'm a bit ashamed of this because uh, in this later uh, period of our existence in our society, uh, I have become embarrassed about what I did once, which was actually the way I got on the air. Because I told you I had this terrible, high-pitched, nasal Indiana accent. But I could imitate, and I don't mean, I do not mean the, uh, the minstrelsy Amos and Andy, because I told you I grew up in, an, in an, an African-American community. And so that was the sound I was hearing. That was the cadence I was hearing. And so I could uh, also speak that way. Um, not to them or maybe to them or, but, uh, certainly hanging around with friends, I could, uh, speak that way. But now it's, um, appropriation if, uh, so for a long period of time, uh, except in black owned radio stations, there were no African-American people hired. That was discrimination, terrible part of our history. Um, but when I got into uh, college, I had a lot of African-American friends, and they said, where's our music? Uh, you know, you're playing all of this uh, rockabilly, uh, Elvis, uh, maybe some early uh, English, but where's our music? And I said, are you talking about Motown? They go, no, that's not our music. Um, you know, that's a hybrid Uh, crossover to appeal to a white audience. That's not real. Rhythm and blues is our music. Where is our music? So I went to the uh, proctor at the University of Cincinnati at the College Conservatory of Music and said, I would like to do a show uh, with this kind of music to serve these people who are not being served. And uh, after a, a lot of fights... Um, They finally uh, allowed me to do that uh, because they would not let me do anything but news reading, newscasting, because my voice as a disc jockey, and remember disc jockeys back in that day, and now I'm going to be a a disc jockey for you back in that day. It's 25 minutes past 5 o'clock. Hi, everybody. This is Johnny Dollar.
0: Johnny Dollar. Yeah,
1: see? So, I mean, they said, WSAI, good to have you with us, everyone. Thank you very much for being with us. And, in fact, that is how uh, baseball announcers talk.
0: Yes. Buddy Tomcat was over this last week and almost died when he heard that Templeton Rye Whiskey was a sponsor of this podcast. He and his whiskey connoisseur brother Scott love it. He made it clear to me also that according to his sources, rye whiskey is the proper way to have an old fashioned and a Manhattan. On the rocks is how I roll, but I'd love to try those drinks with some rye in it. So if you're looking for a smooth, spicy rye with a clean finish, Templeton Rye Whiskey is your brand. Based on the Prohibition-era Kirchhoff recipe, it is said that Templeton Rye Whiskey was Al Capone's favorite drink. named the good stuff and also Iowa's most notorious drink. Make the multiple award-winning, such as being named Rye Whiskey of the Year in the 2009 Whiskey Bible by Jim Murray, who is one of the most well-known tasters in the industry. Templeton Rye Whiskey, your cocktail of the summer. Follow them on Instagram at Templeton Rye Whiskey. Please drink responsibly.
1: So, (laughs) <laughs> we used to, we used to laugh at some of them, but they go. So just think that I just did this, uh, this, this jockey, this guy talking like this all the time. Okay, all right, twenty-five minutes past five o'clock. Uh, the good sound of good music radio. Good to have you with us. Okay, now go to baseball. Okay, I'll cover the bat right now number twenty three Gary guetti our favorite name to say, our favorite name to say Gary Gaetti, <laughs> you gotta swallow that uh <laughs> Gary Gaetti third baseman hitting three twenty five right now, and so it's still disc jockey and a lot of more former disc jockeys that came in and, and did baseball and so um so <clears throat> So you had this sound of these guys. So they couldn't say, uh, all right, now we're going to turn our tables to uh, Big Maybell and Theoda Kilgore. uh, Because all of the brothers, you know, and sisters in the audience would go, come on, come on, you're throwing us a bone. So I became black. And... When I demonstrated that I could do this, which was really just talking the way that uh, of all the people that I'd worked with and played basketball with, um, it was a dialect to me. It wasn't an imitation or stealing from them. Um, But I had been listening since I was a little child to WLAC, Nashville, Tennessee. The home of the big Hugh, baby Halseman and John R. Brought to you by Randy's, Ernie's, and Buckley's Record House. Unconditionally guaranteed to get your home free of harm, safe on delivery. Just pay the postman four dollars and ninety-five cents, cash on delivery. So, um, so I started doing that. So I became a. Uh, m- my gig was rhythm and blues, and I was the Birdman. Bird B u r d m a n n. And so uh, people would call up and say, uh, you know, can you come to my high school to do a dance? I go, no, <laughs> I can't. I can't because the caller was an African-American uh, boy or girl. And, and no, I can't. They thought you were black. Yes.
0: <laughs>
1: yes. And so I did that then. Uh, then I got out of college and I went to the Air Force for four years. And I was on the air for four years. And that was my gig. I was, I did nothing but rhythm and blues.
0: That is awesome.
1: Yeah. But at the same time, that's with apologies today. Because what I did was appropriate that, um, not only the music, but I appropriated the sound. uh, And it never occurred to anyone, well, why don't we go find a black person to do this? Why why wouldn't we do that? or cultivate, or bring somebody in who has kind of an interest and teach him the ropes. It didn't occur to anyone, including me.
0: Wow. Man, that is interesting. When did you drop that whole act then? When it became apparent to me that it was appropriation.
1: Okay. When it was, um, because even WLAC, the, quote, black disc jockeys were all white. They were all white. Now, in Cincinnati, there was a place called WCIN, the track of the cat, and they had uh, incredible black disc jockeys. And that's where uh, all of the college kids were listening to that station, all the African-American college kids were listening to that station. But I still felt compelled to give to to uh, serve that community. But see, it all sounds really stupid today because the white guy serving that community is just paternal and it's crazy and it's bad and and I recognize it as bad but but that's how I got started so that voice uh that voice getting down here and speaking like this was more and then so I could lower my voice when I did that and I'm, well, I can lower my voice doing that I can lower my voice doing anything and so uh What happened was I was on the air, and and the pressure of being an on-air disc jockey uh, and being clever and fun and humorous and and having bits and sound effects and everything was a huge amount of work. It was six hours of preparation to do a three-hour shift. And and right across the window uh, was a person reading news, and they were reading off of a teletype wire. They didn't write a word. They were just going in and ripping UPI and AP Press and, uh, and, and just reading wire. And they were getting paid exactly the same that I was. And I went, I'm doing that job, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to waste my time trying to be clever and trying to be popular when you don't even have to try to be popular to read the news. And so I just walked on the other side of the glass and said,
0: I'm signing up for news. I want to tell you all one of my favorite bars in the Roseville slash St. Paul, Minnesota area. The B-Dale Club, located on the corner of County Road B and Dale's motto is a place for family, a place for friends, a place for fun. And that is a fact. The food at T-Birds Cafe and Takeaway is always excellent. I've been jonesing for a B-Dale night for a while now while teaching summer school in my hometown. So now that I'm back in St. Paul. I'm anxious to get back down there for some chowing, good times, catching up with the crew. Rob, Natalie, and Shelly, and the entire bar staff are all state-of-the-art cocktail artists. I've been told that after being talked about on these podcast ads, the Waller's Woodhill Cocktails are selling like hot cakes. Don't miss the seventh annual barbecue contest on Saturday, August 3rd. Karaoke, live music, pool table, pool tabs, bingo nights, bocce ball tournaments, and much, much more. B-Dale's got it all. Stop by for a cold one soon. Speaking of baseball and like you're talking, yeah, baseball announcers to um what was the other one, like auction guys or something that that kind of toggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did that start? Who was the great grandfather of that? Why is that style accepted as the baseball announcing style? Who thought that sounded cool? Is well, it easier to hear because it's up and down or what do you think? Yeah,
1: it wasn't always that way. Um, I I think that uh, it started probably in the uh, late 60s because uh, back in the day Pee Wee Reese and Dizzy Dean were announcers and, and we've had the, the great announcers uh, here uh, for the Twins and Herb Carneal. He didn't do that. Uh, but... I think that uh, some people picked up on it and began doing that kind of arch delivery uh, to keep people interested in the game because the game was really slow. And so people were saying, we need entertainers to do this, not people to call balls and strikes, tell you the score and who's on base. We need someone who has some kind of broadcasting experience, not game-calling experience. And uh, I can't guarantee you that's where it came from, but it just seems to me that that's when it began. And and, uh, if you listen today to Al Michaels, Al Michaels has the same thing going on all the time. He's talking disc jockey talk. (laughs) Disc jockey talk. He's talking disc jockey talk. (laughs) (laughs) Do you believe in miracles?
0: That's disc jockey talk. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that is absolutely (laughs) hilarious. Um, Wow, that blows my mind. Doing this podcast, I try to improve on my voice all the time, and... Lowering it's kind of cool, but I notice I'd rush. So when you're doing stuff, producers would tell you to slow down. And when it's too slow and when it's too fast when you're talking, do you think? I don't know when I'm too fast for the material,
1: usually in a newscast, because you haven't had a lot of time to absorb the material, plus you're on the clock. So if you have a, an item that is a 20-second read, you've got to read it 20 seconds, no matter how well it is written, no matter how dramatic it is. But Dave Moore was the king of that. He would, uh, hell with the clock. He didn't care that if if there was a message to deliver, he was the best reader ever uh, because he could make that a compelling story if it was a kid uh, lost in the woods he would tell that story as though it was coming out of his heart even though it was written down and on the teleprompter wow he did a thing to me one time which was uh, really interesting back in the day we were working together we worked together 25 years and he was my my, uh, mentor and uh, like a father to me And we were anchoring together, and I remember uh, one story in particular. And I was doing the six and the ten. So at six, I had the read on the county budget, and I said, "The county budget this year is six billion four hundred ninety-five thousand three hundred twenty-nine and six hundred dollars." And after it was over, uh, the newscast was over. Dave said, "That's amazing." I said, what is? He said that you could remember that number. Because, see, I'm looking right in the camera when I'm saying that, those numbers. Uh huh. And I said, you're kidding. He said, yes, I'm kidding. No one can remember a number that long. So you can't look at the camera and say that number. He said, give me the story tonight. So at 10, he had the story. Now, on this podcast, it's going to be hard to imagine, but I'll try to uh, uh, describe my way through it. So uh, he didn't have his glasses on. He had his glasses in his pocket. And so he said, well, the county budget's out today, and um, the final figure is... Now he reaches in his pocket and pulls out his glasses and leans over and looks at the script. Now, the script... Uh, has the same number on it as the teleprompter. And he's looking down, and he puts his hand on his head and says two hundred dollars So uh, that's the budget. And then he looks up. Now, he didn't need to look down because it was right there in front of him. But he was saying that, he was saying two things. One, no one can remember a number that long and you can't expect the audience to remember a number that long. And so I'm going to read uh, this, which is what a person would have to do. They're going to have to read this number. So I'm going to look down and, and read the number. And I'm, the second thing I'm doing is the audience will know I'm trying to be as accurate as possible. And so my authority and credibility grows.
0: Wow. And That's genius. This is absolute
1: genius. And and it came from the fact that Dave Moore uh, was not a journalist but a theater student. He went through the University of Minnesota as a theater student, went through with Peter Graves and with James Arness, um, who became became great stars out in Hollywood. In fact, the three of them went out in a jalopy to Hollywood, and they stuck, (laughs) and and Dave didn't, so he came back to try to get a job, and he he, uh, applied for a job at CCO uh, to be an announcer and a newscaster, but CCO told him at that time in in the early 50s, uh, we've just hired another guy for that job, Walter Cronkite. March 6th, 1981. I'll be away on assignment and Dan Rather will be sitting in here for the next few years. Good night. This has been the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite. We have hired Walter Cronkite. He's a CBS radio guy and uh, we're giving him a shot because uh, television's not open to him at CBS. And so when CBS found out that Cronkite uh, had taken a job in... Uh, Minneapolis St. Paul uh, they offered him a television slot, not in news but with you are there and uh, and so he turned down the job and then Dave got the job
0: isn't that weird? Wow that's crazy that's an incredible story Thanks for tuning in this week's edition of the Mark Stereo Music Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed the program. We'll see you back here for new podcasts about life and times in the live and local music scene each and every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places, podcasts are available. Again, please support this week's sponsors, ID Chrysler Pine City, Templeton Rye Whiskey, and b Club. This is also a listener-supported podcast, so if you'd like to get on board, please visit patreon.com forward slash Music Podcast. If you enjoyed some of the musical edits on this show, please head on over to your local record store or do some digging on iTunes and load up on some new songs. Also, if you get a chance, please go check out some live music somewhere. It could be a great and worthwhile experience. Life is short. Go have some fun. Till next time.